0: What I do is help people to see how you can take those common rules and then apply them in a way that's going to make it more likely to be successful, more likely for people to choose you and to feel good about those decisions.
1: Three, two, one, zero, ignition,
2: Lift off. Ending Small Business Failure. Welcome to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with the number one small business expert, Melinda Emerson. Melinda's goal is to end small business failure, and she'll give you the information you need to succeed and live the life you dream of. Now, here's your host, the Small Biz Chat Lady herself, Melinda Emerson.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm Melinda Emerson, the Small Biz Lady, America's number one small business expert And I am excited to welcome you to another episode of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. Now, this is Marge. We have a special show in store for you tonight because it is Women's History Month. And I have three fierce ladies here with me who are going to break down all aspects of business to help you grow and learn and be your best in your business. Now, tonight's show is about digging in and learning more about your customers and why they buy. If you're looking for ways to build a deeper relationship with your target customers, you're in the right place because we're going to be talking about behavioral economics. Here on the Small Biz Chat, we talk about how to start and how to grow successful small businesses. We consider this podcast a peer-to-peer mentoring program. Now the mission of Small Biz Chat is to end small business failure. And we always bring you sage advice from multiple perspectives to help you do just that now the small biz chat podcast can be seen on my small biz lady fan page on facebook and on my youtube channel please be sure to subscribe and share so that other people can get all of this great information on how to be awesome in their business so with that it's time for me to introduce my first guest melina palmer She is a celebrated global keynote speaker with her mission to help great brands do great things by leveraging the power of behavioral economics. She is the CEO of The Brainy Business, which provides behavioral economics training and consulting to businesses of all sizes around the world. Her podcast, The Brainy Business, understands the psychology of why people buy and has had downloads from over 170 countries and is used as a resource for teaching applied behavioral economics for many universities and businesses. Melina also teaches applied behavioral economics through Texas A&M's Human Behavior Lab and writes a behavioral economics column for Inc. Magazine. Her first book, What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You, and her second book is What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You, which was published in 2022. So for more information, you can go to the Business dot com. Melina, welcome to the Small fish chat Podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. All right. So you gotta tell me your origin story. How in the world did you find your way to behavioral economics? Because I got to tell you, when you first emailed me and told me that was your expertise, I was like, okay, what is that? <laughs> so, so tell us all how you got on this journey of being such an expert, you know, sales and marketing expert, essentially.
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely not the, the hottest of terms as far as field names go. But my undergrad is actually in business administration and marketing. And in you know one class, there was a tiny section of something that I knew was just exactly what I wanted on this, how people buy, the psychology of buying decisions. But it was a really tiny, tiny piece. And I spent the better part of 10 years calling schools and asking them, what programs existed and how I could get a master's in that. And it didn't exist yet. Uh, but after you know 10 years of working in brand strategy and, and marketing consulting, uh, I found and was introduced to behavioral economics, which is essentially the psychology of why people buy. And that is then something I go in and apply. And because I was early into the field, especially on the applied side, it was a pretty academic space when I got in there, uh, being able to focus on how you actually use this stuff. The things that were so obvious to me and how communicating better with other people's brains can help businesses just wasn't being talked about anywhere. So that, you know, I said, why not me? And ended up rebranding my whole company and launching the podcast. And, and it's all kind of jumped off from there.
1: So you explained to us what behavioral economics is, but let's get into this deeper because I always thought that there, there's emotional buyers and there's logic buyers. And so... But based on behavioral economics, you're saying, uh-uh, it's your subconscious that's making all these decisions. And so talk to us about how your research, does it Does it rebuff this myth of, of of emotional buyers, or is that just another layer to it? It's actually
0: mostly on that more emotional level. But if we take a step back and learn a little bit about how the brain actually makes decisions, how it works, is think about your brain like a person riding an elephant. You have that logical, conscious rider, knows where it's going, has a plan where we want to go. We know what's up. uh, But you're kind of at the mercy of that subconscious elephant. And if it wants to sit down or run in another direction, uh, you kind of have to go where the elephant wants to take you. And that is that subconscious, which does the bulk of our buying. The actual, that Every person makes an average of 35,000 decisions every single day, which is crazy when we think about it. But the bulk of those are done subconsciously by that elephant. And we would like to think that it's making those decisions using full logic all the time, but it really has to make the bulk of those decisions on habit and predictability. That's why we love the status quo, that subconscious brain likes to know what's going to come next, what's most likely to work. And so those rules that the subconscious uses is what behavioral economics is built upon. What I do is help people to see how you can take those common rules and then apply them in a way that's going to make it more likely to be successful, more likely for people to choose you and to feel good about those decisions.
1: Love it. so. What is it different for B2B versus B2C, depending on, you know, because do corporate buyers use their subconscious mind or is it a little bit more complicated than that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's at the end of the day, we're still dealing with people making decisions in those uh, departments. And so if you were to say, you know, you're selling cloud based computing software, you need you have a new system that you're trying to get a team to move over to. We've anybody who's done that type of selling, uh, you've been in those meetings and the executive team is on board and the management likes it and the pricing is right and everybody loves it. And then there's somebody that's, you know, deep, deep into the department that doesn't like the idea of using that system and says, oh, I'm not going to move. Not going to do that. And it derails everything. And it's because of a status quo, bias, loss aversion or maybe even just the way the information was presented to them, the frame that was used for it. And so understanding the people, even when it's billion dollar decisions, we are still, you know, the elephants making those decisions <laughs> uh, for the bulk
1: of it. So what made you get interested in consumer behavior? Was it just because you were working with a lot of consumer brands?
0: You know, i like I said, it was in that uh, undergrad timing, so it was before I even you know, got in and started into that space. I think I've always been interested in why people do things and been a pretty natural questioner. And so being able to look at something and go, that's weird, but I wonder why that is. And so that's something that people don't do enough anymore. And when we understand more about the habits and the way that our brains make decisions, we kind of just go through the motions a lot of the time and don't even realize it. And so if we can invest a little bit more time in being thoughtful, we can be more thoughtful about everything. But you can be a little bit more thoughtful about why did I open that email and delete this other one? Why did that LinkedIn request feel super spammy? And uh, why was this other one something I was interested in opening? Why was that article interesting and not that one? And hey, as a small business owner, what does my stuff look like? Because it's funny, we kind of forget that we're human when we start to be communicating. And when we're in work mode, the stuff we write is often really weird and not something that would compel us to buy at all. And it's because of that, you
1: know, elephant writer problem. I get it. So you talk about in one of your series that it's not about the cookie. Now, what does that mean?
0: (laughs) Yes. So, This is my framework for pricing strategy and for change management. And just the really quick is, you know, imagine we're walking down the street, having a great conversation, and all of a sudden there's this amazing scent that comes down the street. And we're still talking now, but kind of distracted by what this is and where it is. And more like cartoon characters now with our noses pulling us down the road. And it's sweet and salty. We realize it's cookies baking. We're so excited. And we see there's a line. And... And they say, get a free sample and buy three, get one free. And you know, before we know it, we both walk out of there with eating a cookie and an undisclosed amount in a bank for later. And in another version, if we're walking down the street, same conversation. Someone shoves a flyer in our face and says, oh, today only I have cookies and, and they're on sale. And if you only pay for three of them, if you buy four, and, you know, here's a sample. You know, go, "This, that guy, gross, get out of here. You know, we we're having such a good conversation. How rude is he? And by the time you see the line and spell, the cookies, you know, you're writing a Yelp review about how terrible their practices are. So in this point, we know it's not about the cookie. We you know, we're definitely buying in the first case. We're not in the other. It's also not about the price, right? It could have been $3 cookies the first time around and 50 cent cookies in the other. And it was more the stuff that happened before the price had more of an impact on the decisions we made. And all the same things happened as well, but they were in a different order. So understanding what's happening in the brain is part of that framework and presenting it in the right order.
1: Like it. All right. So I know a lot of times you help brands with pricing. And there's this rule, you know, those of us that do internet marketing, you know, you never put a zero after something. You always want to use a seven or a nine. Or some people say you need to use a five at the end of the number. You know, does that really matter?
0: So... The good news is it doesn't really matter, as is the uh, say in there. So we can kind of let go of feeling that stress of picking the perfect number. The big decision that you would want to make is to determine if you want your brand or your product or whatever it is that you're putting out there to be associated with being a deal or a bargain or a value space. In which case, rounding down is a really good strategy. And then, you know, nine, seven, five, pick what works well for you. If you don't want that and you want to be more of a, if you're a luxury item, if you're something people are buying as a gift uh, or something that's more of that splurge, you can be on that whole number. And it's better to do that. It's like people don't typically like to buy discount wine, you know, when you're looking at things like that. So, you know, ending in a zero or a one or a two, something that's rounding up can be something where it feels better and doesn't have that uh, discount connotation if that's not what you are.
1: All right. Last question before the break. What is the one word that increases sales by 38% and what concept is at play here? Okay.
0: So it's not a magic word itself, but the concept here is one of anchoring. And so it had to do with selling Snickers and they had two different ads uh, at the grocery store. One said Snickers, buy them for your freezer. The other said Snickers buy 18 for your freezer. And if we were making those ads, it'd probably feel really weird to put numbers like that out there, kind of arbitrary and whatnot. But the number 18, because it set a high anchor in the brain, ended up increasing the sales by 38% because of the way that we interpret. Where then it's kind of a fancy word for zero in this case, and we're not necessarily going to buy an 18. We say, whoa. I'm way better than everybody else. I don't need 18,
1: I'll just get six. Very, very interesting. Well, when we come back, we're gonna talk more with Melina Palmer about behavioral economics, stay with us. Are you ready to become a boss? Hi, I'm Melinda Emerson, Small Biz Lady. Click the button below and take my free boss quiz. This assessment will help you learn your entrepreneur type and find the right business model for you. Get this information about the number one asset in your business. Yeah, that's you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Small Biz Chat podcast. I'm Melinda Emerson, Small Biz Lady, your host, and we are talking about how to figure out what your customers want and can't tell you with Melina Palmer. All right, Melina, tell us what are the top five wording mistakes that small businesses make when they're writing copy or producing ads.
0: Yeah. So I've broken this into five categories, uh, which would be being too boring, too much, too vague, too confusing and too literal. So a couple of those are pretty quick to explain and understand. If your messaging is boring and long, it's hard to get people to buy. And if in general, if you're asking yourself, is there too much here? Uh, The answer is yes. So you can pretty much always cut something. It's good to go in and look at. Uh, My favorite example about not being boring is cotton candy grapes. Looking at something super commoditized and being able to make it feel fun and that people are charging a lot more for and excited to pay for. You know, that's a really good example. So the next grouping that comes up with this is where we look at being vague and confusing. And it's really amazing how often websites, ads, emails... Uh, are missing a call to action. So if you're going to be putting a bunch of work uh, into having someone like they have to think about what they're supposed to do, we don't really get it. They're going to be bailing out on that. So what you want to look at is if you can only do one thing, if this piece of communication is only going to get one thing done, what is the most important thing? And then put all the eggs in that basket to make it so it's really clear and compelling for someone to take action on whatever that is. So the last piece is being too literal. And what I mean by that is we like to give really specific information and it feels like we need to communicate really tiny details. People are going to go look it up and they're going to know we didn't say everything exactly right or something's been hanging out for a long time. So in this example, my there's a nail salon by my house, which I go to now, but uh, years and years ago... Uh, they had this big sign out front that said best in the South Sound 2009, 2010, 2011. And that's all fine and dandy if it was 2012, but it was 2017. And so this message, which should have been good and compelling, actually made my brain kind of go, ee, you know, what happened? What's What's gone downhill for these last six years? So if you instead reframe that to just say best in the sound, South Sound three years in a row... It's now a very compelling message when it's not quite so specific.
1: Now, in your book, you talk about behavioral baking. What does that mean for business?
0: Yeah. So when you think about applying all of this, it's easy to feel a little bit overwhelmed as I'm talking about so many concepts and things going on in the brain. And want to have you think about applying it in the same way as if you were going to you know, be a professional baker if you wanted to start baking. Uh, you probably need to know what the ingredients do. Uh, So because sugar, flour, butter, eggs, they can be combined in many different ways to create all sorts of different things and you need to know what you want to make. And you're probably going to follow some sort of a recipe. You're not just throwing everything in a bowl and hoping it becomes brownies at the end of the day. And if you are, you know, good luck. Uh, But instead, we also would never say as you start baking, you know, if you make a cake and it's kind of soupy or something's off, you're not going to say, oh, you know, I tried baking once. It's not real. It didn't work because that's ridiculous. But we do that with work stuff all the time. Right. Like I tried Instagram and I didn't go viral. That's not a real thing. Right. It seems silly, but but we feel that way. So with implementing and testing out these concepts, you want to start with some simple recipes that are kind of tried and uh, tried and tested. I have some in my books uh, that you're able to go in and start to work with. And then from there. Uh, maybe you can spice things up with a little bit more but it's about small tests little things a tiny reframe you know how'd that work and look at it more of a long-term investment in the the testing of behavioral economics instead of a one and done fix
1: all good advice it's like people giving up on love right it's like you get your heart broken once you're like i'll never love again i mean it's it's like people behave that way about stuff in business too and you know, the thing is, is that you got to test and you got to test some more. That's really how this works. All right. Last question for you. What is the best business advice you have ever received?
0: I would say my favorite piece of advice. I was working in an advertising agency just out of college and the woman who was the receptionist and also ran the books, it was a small agency, and she had said to me, Melina, you are worth the hourly rate that we're charging for you whatever that is know that somebody picked that for you and that is the number that you are worth and don't ever shy away from that you know and you're worth even more but it's hard in small business uh sometimes and especially you know being just out of college and it was a number that was higher than i would be paying for anything at that time uh so to have that confidence in the pricing i think was really great piece of advice
1: i love it i love it thank you so much melina for your valuable insight it was very helpful Thank you all for joining me for this episode of the Small Biz Chat Podcast. If you're ready to grow your business and you're looking to use email marketing, head over to Small Biz Lady University. I've got a great six-week online course that'll put you in the right direction and start closing more sales right away. All right. I want to leave you all with this. You never lose in business. Either you win or you learn. I thank you for joining us, everybody. God bless.
2: Thanks for listening to the Small Biz Chat Podcast with Melinda Emerson. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and join us next Wednesday for more fantastic information and interviews. You can find more sources and small business success strategies by visiting Melinda's website, SucceedAsYourOwnBoss.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.